And if you would take out your copies of God's Word today and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We'll be taking a look at verse 7 today as we examine the third commandment in our series and our walk through the Ten Commandments. We have been looking at these commandments through the framework of freedom. Uh, this has been partially helped by a wonderful book uh, by, by Alistair Begg. And the thing that we're going to be looking at today is freedom from flippancy. And that's what we'll see here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Listen carefully, because this is the word of the Lord for you today. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our great God and ask his blessing once more on our text this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for this, uh, these words of life that you have given to us. I pray that you would help us to examine these things uh, and be able to see the truth that's in them. May we be transformed by what we find here today. I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. They say, we always wonder who they are, but they say that talk is cheap. Excuse me. I have unplugged my microphone. Hold on. Talk is cheap, especially when you can't hear it. So. They say that talk is cheap. But I would submit that it's not worthless, because in our things that we say, this gives us a lot of insight into the state of our hearts, because what comes out of our mouth is something that is in our heart, as we'll see later on in our passage today. One such illustration of this comes from the world of baseball. One day, the famed baseball player, Babe Ruth, was given an audience with the Queen of the Netherlands. He was instructed how best to approach her and all the royal protocol that that involved. But instead, he happened to meet her a little bit earlier than was, in the, than was expected. And so instead of abiding by all the instructions that he was given, he tapped her on the side of the shoulder and said, Hiya, Queenie! Now that talk revealed something about Babe Ruth and about his rather American approach to the monarchy and how the, the absence of reverence that existed in his heart. And unfortunately, in the same way, our own way of talking, particularly about our God, will say in the way that we use his name, says a lot about how we actually think of him and the state of our hearts toward our Lord and Savior. So that's what we're going to be examining today as we look at this third commandment. And as we'll find that it's not that this third commandment, though we tend to think of it as just regulating our speech, actually regulates a lot more than that. It regulates not only the things that we say, but also in the way in which we do them. So we'll look at those two things together. Again, you can see in our outline that I have for you uh, tucked into your bulletin on the back of the prayer guide, you'll see our two points. This commandment shows us that we are freed from empty speech. Freed from empty speech. And secondly, we are freed from empty living. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. So we have a short passage, so let's take a look at this in detail. We see here in verse 7, tells us that you shall not, something we shouldn't do, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Three words in particular we'll need to understand. The words take, name, and vain. So let's start with the object. Let's start with name. What is in a name? As the Shakespearean play, uh, play asks, well, name, as we tend to think of it in our culture, we tend to think of a name as a label. Some sort of, what sound do you want me to make if you want me to get your attention? And that's as much as we tend to think about in the term name, just a label, something that we refer to so we can differentiate it from one thing to another. But name means something more than just a label. It's more than just what we call God. Name stands for reputation. Name stands for the person as a whole. We use this sort of a thing when we talk about when we see a crowd of people and we say, I see a lot of new faces here. We don't just mean the face. We're talking about the whole person, as one commentator illustrated it. But this is referring to God's character and nature, who he is, referring to his name. This name is something that the Lord has given to himself. As another commentator pointed out, we tend, one of the first things we do as parents is we name our children. And this is a, this is a demonstration of authority. We determine what your name is and what you will be called. No one gave a name to God. It's not something that we have chosen for him, but something he has chosen for himself. This is something that depicts his own authority, and that he is ruled by no one. He determines what he's called. And as we see throughout Scripture, as one preacher, Kevin DeYoung, points to several different passages, a few of which we'll look at today, that illustrate the reverence that we're supposed to give his name. How important God's name is. If we look into Psalm 8, verse 1, it talks about, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, something that is praiseworthy and worthy of our attention. Turn with me to the New Testament as we look into the book of Acts and we see the formation of the early church and its message that it gave to the people. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Here, Peter and John are speaking. And it says here in what the Lord reveals to us, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, this name not referring to some sort of label or like reciting some sort of magic word is where we find salvation. We find salvation in the Lord, in God. And there is no other name, no other God in which we will find salvation. Turn more, just another book over as we look into the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Here Paul is saying, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an offering to all the world. And then finally, if we look into Philippians chapter 2 in our lightning tour of the, um, 
of the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Oh, well, let me start in verse 9. Therefore God has exalted him, it is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So here as we turn back to our passage today in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, look at the reverence that is given to this name, to this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we're talking about. This is the subject of this commandment. So what are we not supposed to do with it? We're not supposed to take it in vain. What does this mean? We'll take a look at take here as we jump into the second point, because it has more to say there. But what does it mean to do this in vain? Primarily, what the, the, a lot of scholars would think, although it's not limited to this, is that by taking the Lord's name in vain meant to swear falsely in an oath. Today, we see this in court proceedings. When you're about to take the witness stand, you put your hand on on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. This is invoking the name of God, the one who is eventually going to be bowed down to by the entire earth and say, I'm calling this one to witness that I'm about to tell the truth. This is supposed to be a very solemn command. But not everyone does that. Not everyone takes this seriously and will instead use that as an occasion to lie. Now, having read what we've just read about who this God is and what his name is and what power that name has, isn't it scandalous that we would do something like that? Now, we might wipe our foreheads and say, Phew, well, at least I have not committed perjury in this way. I have not sworn a false oath when I do this. Well, that's, that may be true, and there were other sections of society that used to do this. In fact, and there was a, um, came across an illustration of a, um, there was a state, I think it was Illinois, that in, before you got your driver's license, you were to swear an oath that you would never drive over 30 miles an hour on the highway. And this was obviously quite some time ago. And this was also something that was quite routinely broken, uh, as we see here in this third commandment. But there are lots of ways in which we break this today. We see this in the state of America, how cheaply we treat our marriage vows. These are promises that are made before God, that we would love and serve one another. That's not to say, and as we have spoken about in other places, there are proper and biblical perspectives on divorce, and there are times in which this is, this is a thing that is, that is okay to do, but that's not usually how the rest of America does this, that we will routinely make promises to God, not really to each other. It's meant to be to God that we're going to be caring for one another, but yet we will see, not only do we see divorce rampant, but the use of pornography rampantly. These are breakages of this vow. And instead of promising to God that we're going to do those things, we are unfaithful to those vows and can take this in vain. But there are other ways that we can do this. It's not just swearing before God that you have done this, that you are going to do this, that, or the other thing. But, it, but we can also do this by doing this, by speaking God's name in an empty way. 
This is what the term vain means, it's empty or thoughtless, as one person put it. And this is even more endemic in our own country. As we see the God's name casually tossed around as a substitute for a curse word or something like that, or in combination with one. And we'll use God's name in all manner of things, from someone cutting us off in traffic to our team making a touchdown. This is not the proper use of God's name or his title, using the word Lord as a substitute for these sorts of things. This is not what, this is not what the commandment has in mind. We're not supposed to do that. And as you can see, again, having looked at what this name is and what we read in our New Testament reading about one of the first things that you pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer is hallowed be your name, praised, set apart, not just used commonly. It's what the word profane means, taking something holy, separate, and making it into something common, throwing the name God around just wherever you would like to. But there is more in ways that we can break this commandment. In fact, there are, there are so many ways in which this can be done. Uh, I will point you to the Westminster Larger Catechism. It goes through several different ways in which we can do that. I had to limit myself to just a few, just so this way that wouldn't just overwhelm you with this. And as I was doing this study, I was just struck by how sinful I am as we look into this commandment deeply. One of those things that actually... Um, uh, Kevin DeYoung also pointed out is the way that we can pray. When we're sitting down to thank the Lord for our food and we're trying and we look at, as Kevin DeYoung put it, we look at prayer as one more obstacle to clear before we can finally get to our meal. That's not how we should approach prayer. Or when we're trying to get through prayer quickly so our kids will settle down and can eat. Kevin DeYoung actually had something to say. It says, God is more patient with three-year-olds who can't sit still than he is with parents who can't slow down to get their minds and hearts in the right place to pray. That's very convicting. How do we pray? Is it just something that's part of the routine? Or do we realize we're talking to the Lord as we do so? Another way... Uh, all that DeYoung also pointed out is when we use God's name for our agendas. And we say, God told me to tell you, and unless you're about to quote a verse from the Bible, we're in a wrong spot. Or when we try to say, this is God's approved governmental policy, when you do not have the scripture to back that up. That's trying to assign God's name to our agenda. And that's not right. Unfortunately, ministers can do this too, trying to force a particular way of either spending money at the church or something like that and just trying to invoke the name of God or things when we don't have the scriptures to back that up. So taking God's name in vain, using it as a club to break into our own person, our own purposes, using it as a crowbar to pry open what we want, that's not a proper use of God's name. Finally, and this is the one that hit me the most, is complaining. We don't even have to use God's name in this, but as we looked into our shorter catechism, we see God's works as well. When we complain, what we are saying is, God, your plan is terrible. 
You are either not powerful enough to do this right, or you're not good enough to do it like you should. That's what we say when we complain. Is there a place for lament? Yes. We see that in the Psalms. When there is sin that is being committed, things that God hates, it's good to hate the things that God hates. When we see sin, when we see destruction, when we see these sorts of things happening in our world, it is right to lament those things. It's right to bring those things in prayer. But there's a big difference between praying and complaining, isn't it? Prayer at least says there is God who can do something about this. And when he doesn't do something about it, or at least the way that we want to, we're given time to reflect on why that might be. I've been guilty of breaking this all the time. Every time I drive down 280 and see the current price of gas. Led me to much complaining. But what am I saying? I'm saying either, God, you are not in control of these gas prices. You need to get on that. Or I'm saying, God, you are not good, causing me to have to pay so much to get in my air-conditioned vehicle to take me into various places. That's taking God's name in vain. That's saying you're not doing this right. That's a very serious thing. But it's something that we fall into very easily. Instead of saying, this is what God is doing, when we complain, we say, I would do a much better job. Because I wouldn't do it like this. Very short-sighted. Now, is it wrong to pray, especially for those that have been really pinched financially and to whom rising gas prices might mean the difference between going to the grocery store or not? Is it Right to pray that that oppression on these people would be lifted? That this hardship on them, rather, would be lifted? Yeah, that's fine. We can pray for that. And when it's not lifted, we can ask ourselves, why might this be? If we were to say, perhaps the Lord is judging us, looking at what we've done as a country, do we not deserve that? It gives us this opportunity to think as to what the Lord might be doing. And that's the difference between praying and complaining. It's fine to lift up and say, Lord, we hurt. Help us to see what you're doing in it. Help this trial to be lifted and give us strength to go through it is very different than saying, look at this. This is awful. It's not a Christian mindset. We see where this is going. One day, the Lord will rule all of creation. These prices are not going to be here forever. They might be here to the end of our lives, but they won't be here forever. All of these things that we see wrong with our world, sin, disease, death, all of it is going to be conquered. If it's not conquered right now, can we not be patient with the Lord who has given us so much? Well, this is how our speech can be ruled as we think through this. One of the things that we see here is to sum up this portion of the commandment thus far. This comes from one of my commentators. 
He says, whereas the second commandment, or about the idols, prohibits the worship of God through visual representation of him, the third focuses on verbal representations. What we speak, how does what we say represent our God? And the larger catechism does bring that out. Talks about the significance of when it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's pointing to the fact, as one of the commentators pointed out, we have a covenantal relationship with this God. This is not just some disconnected deity out there that we have to try to figure out how to appease. This is a God who has made a promise to us, who has brought us into his family, into his love. How can we then take his name in vain? How can we use it as a club to get what we want or complain about what we don't get? It's a really serious thing. It shows us what's in our hearts. And we might say, it's like, well, yes, I, can, I say those things, but the Lord knows my heart about how I really feel. Sometimes I just say things. Yeah, he knows what's in your heart because he just heard you say it. That we see in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Where Jesus says, The good person out of a good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Paul Tripp talks about a time which he was at a family reunion. And one of his family members had been drinking quite heavily. A lot of ugly things came out of his mouth at that moment. Paul Tripp's mother swept him and his brother out and brought him to the car. And she said, he said I, she told me something I'll never forget. And that was, there is nothing that comes out of a mouth of a drunk that wasn't there already. That's the case for us, too. What comes out of here is out of this well. We can pretend like it's not, but then we would be disagreeing with Jesus, wouldn't we? This has something to say about how we speak. Talk is not cheap. Because it reveals what's in our heart. But more than that, as we look into our second commandment, as we see that the word takes, we're going to be looking at that. We've seen what name is more than a label. Talks about the reputation, the fullness of who this God is. We've seen what vain is, empty, false. Now what does take mean? Well, one commentator suggests that bearing or carrying or taking somebody's name is rooted in the practice of marking or branding. So when we think about those Old days out in the West when they would have all these cattle together, they would brand the cow with a particular marking to let you know whose cow was whose. And in the same way, when we take or we bear God's name, we go as representatives of him. Paul talks about us as being ambassadors for Christ, representations of who he is. We're supposed to be made in the image of God to represent him to the rest of the world. And what does it look like when we don't do that well? Not just things that we say, 
but the things that we do. Do we come into our church services and speak one thing and then live some other way when we're at home? Do we bring scandal onto God's word when we say to the world that the Lord has changed and transformed us, but then we live no differently than the rest of the world does? Look what it says in Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. It says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When we live wrongly, this brings dishonor onto God's word. So is it any surprise that this, having just unfolded what we've looked at, the second half of this verse, do not take the, Lord, your name, the, the name your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So yeah. Now what does this mean? Does this mean that if you have used God's name improperly at any point in your life that you are beyond hope of forgiveness? No, that's not what this passage is saying here. In fact, as we can see in the what many think to be the primary use of this is to say if we swear falsely by God's name, using his name to perjure ourselves, there's actually a process in Leviticus 6, chapter, uh, yeah, Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that gives the procedure for how you can be forgiven and how your sin can be atoned for for the use of this thing. So this doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven of this sin, but as um, Riken had put it, is this is another way of saying, I wouldn't do that if I were you. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And all of us, certainly myself included, are guilty of breaking this commandment in one way, shape, or form. So how can we be free from this guilt? Well, that's what we read earlier. By the name of Jesus Christ can be forgiven by what he has done. That's what we see in the beautiful promise in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel. Christ has died for our taking his name in vain and continues to provide forgiveness when we do. So how do we... Reduce breaking this commandment. Is it by putting the bar of soap in our mouth every time we do something, when we say something we shouldn't? Well, as we saw, where our speech comes from is from our heart. How do we change our heart? We've got to ask for that change. We can't do it ourselves. We come to Jesus, who never broke this commandment. Everything that he ever said or did was a perfect representation of who God is. Because he is God himself. And lived a life of perfect obedience. And then died on the cross, taking all those times that we have dishonored God's name. Or we're speaking about God and not really thinking about it. Carelessly going over these things of God. He took all of that onto himself. And if you've repented and put your trust in Christ, all of that is gone. That gives you a lot of reason to praise, doesn't it? This gives something else for our hearts to fix on. 
So the things that we would complain about vanish away. And if we have a full grasp of who Jesus is, we wouldn't use his name as a curse word. You wouldn't do that to your spouse's name, would you? This is someone you hold in high regard. You wouldn't do this to your mom. So don't do this to your Lord. We've talked about what the, how we break this commandment. One quote from a commentator says that the correct use of God's name is linked to witness. Whereas the misuse of God's name prevents mission. The right way to use God's name, not as a curse word, not as something empty that we throw around, not as something that we complain against, but a gospel that we proclaim. Just like we saw in Acts, proclaiming the name that is above every name, that one day every knee will bow to. That's not taking God's name in vain. But instead, that is taking it to a world that needs to hear this name, to bow to this name. So fill your heart with the gospel. Every day, remind yourself of how much we have broken this commandment and how without the help of Jesus, without the forgiveness that we see from the Savior, we would be lost. Just on the sins of our mouth alone, much less the sins of the rest of our lives. We are forgiven. And out of that power, out of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, go and take the gospel to the world. If you say, Pastor, I have been doing that, but there's a part of my heart that's just, it's still stuck with complaining. It still so easily slips into using God's name lightly. How do I find this practically? One thing that's been really helpful for me in this week is really focusing on memorizing Scripture. It takes a lot of effort to do that. You really have to occupy your mind if you're going to do this correctly. And if you're filling your mind and your heart with Scripture, it's going to change what comes out of your mouth, doesn't it? Perhaps start with Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. That's a wonderful antidote to complaining. The Lord is good. And for those who fear him, it doesn't necessarily mean shaking in fear, but those that reverence him, the opposite of taking it in vain. The opposite, as one commentator put it, the weightlessness of God. God has weight. God deserves reverence. He deserves fear and respect. So that would be a wonderful verse to memorize and turn over in your minds and hearts and see how that ministers and changes how you view God's name so that as you go, your speech is going to start reflecting what's in here as it's being changed day by day by the Holy Spirit using his word. I hope that that is something that would be of an encouragement to you today. These commandments aren't just things to avoid. These are not just wrongs to feel bad about. But these are promises of what you will be like when God transforms you. Not only you shall not, you will not. You won't 
take his name in vain. Because you will see how beautiful he is. You will see the wisdom and the power that God offers to you such that you wouldn't want to use his name in vain. That's the power that Christ offers to you. Yes, we have a long way to go. The Lord is going to bring us to this place and it will be beautiful. It will be free. Let's pray. Our beautiful Savior, we thank you for who you are and for how you have worked in our lives and for what you're doing. I pray that you would forgive me for the ways that I've misused your name, the ways that I've treated it as common, the ways that I've rushed through prayer, the ways that I've rushed through my reading of your word. Even those times in which I've been absent-minded in the sermons of others and even in my own. I pray that you would forgive me. And I pray that for all of us here who have taken your name in vain. I ask that you would help us to see your beauty. That we would be awed by what you have done and will do in our lives and in our world such that taking your name in vain would be seen as the horror for what it is, that we would lift up your name as holy and that we would take it to the nations, to our neighbors, to our families, that they might get to see the beauty of our Savior. Oh, we ask all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.